In this episode, I discuss having tried everything, shutdown and numbness, and how safety can actually lead to defensive feelings. My hope is that you gain some clarity into what's keeping you stuck, as well as some new ideas for getting a bit more unstuck starting today. My name is Justin Sinceri. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist that thinks the world needs a new understanding of mental health. Welcome to Stuck Not Broken. As always, this podcast is not therapy, nor is it intended to be a replacement for therapy. I'm going to be reading a DM that I got from somebody, a fellow stuck knot. I didn't write their name down. This is from a long time ago. And I ended up looking up a name generator. So the internet name generator gave me the name Andy Marsh. So this is from stuck knot Andy Marsh. Stuck knot Andy Marsh says, Hello. Hi. Hi, Andy. Uh, So I've been working with a trauma specialist therapist once a week, and we've been doing EMDR. I'm on Zoloft, which I started back in February, which has been the only thing to help me basically be able to function again. I am diagnosed with CPTSD from childhood misattunement, basically. I have really no connection with feelings. I don't have DID, but I just don't feel connected anymore. Whenever I feel into my body, I never feel safety. I know you have a safety anchors course, and at this point, I am skeptical about anything being able to help me. I assume I'm stuck at the way bottom of the polyvagal ladder and just feel like I haven't budged up at all. I know someone probably thinks that they are the worst case scenario, but I swear I am. I've literally tried everything. When I try to feel safety in my body, All I feel is anxiousness rolling around in my tummy. Every time. I can't seem to get past it. Hopefully you maybe have experienced this before. So let's talk about this first part. I have tried everything. This might not be an issue of technique. It may not be an issue of ideas. This may be more an issue of implementation. So let's say when you say, uh, I've tried everything. Maybe that includes, I've tried meditating. Okay. What meditation looks like for you is not necessarily what it looks like for the next person. How it's being taught, how it's being implemented might be different from person to person or guru to guru. What I think about meditation might not match the next person's. So meditation can look different. So when we say I've tried everything, my question is more of like, okay, but what did it look like for you? Was it the right fit for you? Was that technique or the way that you did it was the right fit for you? Not just for you, but also your state that you're in. Because it may not be. The issue here is we have to find what works for you. And I'm talking in general, not just for the person, uh, Andy Marsh, that wrote this, but just in general, for all of us. We have to find what works for us. No matter what that technique is, whatever the therapeutic modality It has to be the right fit for us. And it has to be a way that feels safe enough. So if you are attempting meditation, it doesn't feel safe. It's not going to help. Or at least the way you're doing it is not going to help. There might be a way that's a better fit for you. But that's something you kind of have to explore. I know for me, when I do meditation, I don't like pre-recorded guided meditations. That doesn't do it for me. All of a sudden, the person's talking about light beams channeling through me and I'm like no there's not there's no light beams it's just me so I need something that's pretty much in the moment pretty 
uh, I, I mean, I, I like my own self-guided thing. So that doesn't work for me. I, I kind of get the idea of what I want out of meditation. And when I attempt it, I'm good. I don't need someone telling me there's light beams. Point is, it has to work for you. And the person uh, mentioned building safety anchors. Yeah, I have a course called Building Safety Anchors. And that has a lot to do with what I'm talking about here. When I built the course, I don't know the right answer for you. I don't know the right answer for any of us. I don't know what technique is best for you. All I know is it's extremely important to build. Well, not all I know, but a lot of what I know is it's extremely important to build the capacity to feel safe. Obviously, by now, if you've listened to the podcast, you already know this. So building safety anchors is about helping you figure out what feels safe for you. And there's it's guided. Uh, it, it guides you. It teaches you different pieces of what could bring you to safety. But what that looks like in particular is very much dependent you know, on you. So building safety anchors helps you build safety anchors. It doesn't teach you what is safe for you. It teaches what is safe for many of us, like music, like sensory stimulation, movement. That's true for many of us, but what that looks like for you, I don't know. And, and that, that's completely honest. With, you know, Building safety anchors, I think, is a really good guide. I think it puts you on the path. But what that path looks like, it's you you gotta you have to bring some curiosity to that. So even if you're not in building safety anchors, just as you do research, as you're you know reading up on different Instagram therapists, guru people, uh, take what they are saying. That's fine, but ask yourself: Is this right for me? Is this right for me right now? Is this right for me in the state that I'm in today or right now, this moment? It, it might not be. Even the same therapy modality, therapy modalities you would think are like, I mean, it's supposed to be like a medical model where there's a diagnosis and here's the modality, which is like a, uh, a medicine in a way or a tool or a technique that we're going to give to remedy the diagnosis. But that is not true. Even the same therapy modality will be more or less effective based on who is implementing it. So how I do somatic work, how I, how I integrate that into my therapeutic stance is going to be different than the next person who also does therapeutic work. How somebody may do EMDR is not going to look, I've heard from EMDR therapists saying what I do in EMDR does not match what I'm hearing from other people. I don't, I'm not trained in EMDR. I don't know enough about it to speak on any expert level, but I've had at least one client tell me that their previous EMDR therapist jump straight to the bilateral stimulation. And I know there's a lot more to EMDR than just moving your eyes back and forth. But that previous therapist like couldn't wait. And in session one, they were right on it. And I don't think that's the right way to do it, but don't quote me on that, please. The point is the fidelity to the model that's being implemented is not guaranteed. These models are built to be a certain way, to flow a certain way and more or less, more or less. But I mean, I mean, like, trust me, I've been in treatment teams where my therapeers are discussing what modalities they've used. And I've spent time with these people. I've spent time maybe shadowing in session when I was like brand new to the field. I've seen them work. And to hear them talk about and name and label what modality they're using does not match what I've seen. And I'm just kind of like, oh, you call that CBT? Okay, then. 
So even though we may have, we might say, hey, we've tried everything. I've tried EMDR. I've tried CBT. I've tried DBT. I've tried ACT. I've tried all the letters of the alphabet in every possible order we could put them in. And nothing works. But it's like, okay, I, I, I get it. But was this given to Fidelity? Was it given with the right person you actually had some connection with? Was it the right technique for you in that moment, in that day? You know, so it's 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 hard to say you've tried everything. I, I don't think anyone means that literally. Although I think the letter writer did say they mean it literally. Yeah, that's, that's the basic idea there. So what I would ask for each of us is to ask our, ourselves, what do we need in this moment based on what state we are in? EMDR might not be it. CBT may not be it. I would really encourage you to ask yourself, what do I need for my system right now? What would feel safe? What would feel doable? Maybe what would feel challenging that I can tolerate and try things based on your state. If you're in a shutdown state, going boxing may not be helpful. If you're with, if you're in therapy, that therapist needs to be able to read what state you're in. They need to be able to know. They need to be able to adapt their techniques based on what state you're in. So I, I know that probably was more complex and needed to be i get it we feel like we've tried everything we're at a place of maybe even feeling hopeless or helpless i get it but i don't think the options are done and hey you haven't even tried building safety anchors so you haven't tried everything the next piece i wanted to go into here is the lack of feeling and how that's a part of shutdown yeah these go together shutdown and a lack of feeling shutdown and numbness uh, this is a shutdown is a dorsal vagal response and it's all about conservation. The body is conserving resources in order to prepare for, well, pre- prepare for a potential uh, escape potential. So the body shuts down. It's still neurocepting for but the potential to escape the situation, but it's also kind of preparing for death in a way as well. Shutdown is a dorsal vagal response. All about conservation of bodily resources. Numbness is a big part of this. Like the body goes into actual physical numbness or, or even dis- dissociation. But even though the, it's not just the body being numb, it's also like emotionally, at least on more of a day-to-day experience, emotionally that individual who's in more of a shutdown, stuck state feels numb. They feel empty. They feel hopeless. They say things like, Nothing will help. And yeah, this is absolutely at the bottom of the ladder. It's really the last option, the last autonomic shift for that mammal to potentially survive whatever situation that they're in. If they can't be safe, if they can't run away, if they can't fight, then that mammal will shut down and it will go into this conservative collapse state different than freeze i've spent some time on that in the past and in my blog as well on justinlmft.com in my opinion shutdown might be the most difficult to climb out of it is way at the bottom so maybe that's part of it but there's a lot that comes along with it there's a lack of energy and allowing that energy to return back in the system is not easy doing it by yourself is not easy co-regulation can be very helpful 
This person who's in more of a shutdown state, they feel and report being very defeated. There's a lack of motivation that comes along with it. Not because they're not trying. That's not the issue. It's just they lack the energy to be motivated. This person wants change. Somebody stuck in a shutdown state, they want things to be different. They don't want to be shut down. They don't want a lack of motivation or be empty. So it's, it's not an issue of want. They simply lack the energy. Their body's in a conservation state. Everything slows down. Someone who's in a shutdown state coming out of that, they kind of have to relearn all over again, or maybe even for the first time, about, well, everything, about what it feels like to be safe, what it feels like to have energy, to have aggression in a healthy way, to feel anxiety and be able to deal with it, to be able to trust and connect to people. All this might be brand new. It might be, maybe you're coming back to it, but it also may be just brand, flat out brand new. Especially when we're talking about uh, CPTSD, complex post-traumatic stress disorder. It makes it a lot more difficult. And I, I would argue that shutdown is a major piece of CPTSD. Actually, I did argue that. And I don't remember what episode is that, that is. But um, yeah, I did an episode on CPTSD and the polyvagal theory. I want to say back in the 50s somewhere. It's been a while. There's a lack of a history in CPTSD. There's a lack of a history of connection, of safety, so feeling those things and climbing out of shutdown is a, it's a tall order. They may have had a lack, they probably had a lack of healthy play, which is so important for kids. They may have had a lack of a healthy attachment or attachment, which is extremely important to kids. And if that's true, then they had a lack of co-regulation. And that means they had a lack of safety cues coming from a safe adult in their life. So this person, yeah, they're going to end up in more of a shutdown state. The, not having a safe attachment is not something you can run away from or fight. And eventually, if you're unable to connect to safe others, you do have this more of a collapsed, withdrawn, isolative dorsal vagal response over time. So if you don't get all these pieces met, you may never really develop a true self or a, or a truer self. I don't know what true self means. I'm just kind of putting that out there, but we'll say truer. A really accurate understanding of who you are or how you are, how you feel, what safety feels like, having a, 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 a greater range of experiences and feelings and emotions, as well as an understanding of what your somatic self feels like, what feelings feel like in your or what emotions feel like in your body. All this is built on a history of co-regulation. And if you don't have that, your self-development is compromised. We learn who we are in the context of others. We build off of a safe attachment. We build off of co-regulation. We don't enter the world as just as who we are. I don't, I don't think. We build off of what we're given. And hopefully we're given lives where it's a nice, solid foundation of love, connection, encouragement. Also challenge that we can meet 
and develop from and grow from, feel successful, feel confident. These, I mean, it's just a smattering of, I think, what's important to develop a sense of who we are and how we are, what we're capable of. If you don't get that, uh, yeah, you're probably going to end up in more of a shutdown state. So feeling connection and trust and love and hope and motivation. Yes, it's, it's, it's hard. It's hard. Not impossible, but but hard. The final thing I want to go into here is that safety can actually lead to defensive feelings. This might seem odd, I know, but the autonomic nervous system is neurocepting safety and it's it's attempting to I mean pretty much at all time it's 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 want it's um neurocepting it's trying to find safety and I'm I'm kind of like giving the ANS some agency here that's not what I mean I'm not trying to personify it but it is constantly detecting for safety or danger for both because there is this inner drive to self-regulate the autonomic nervous system the ideal state is this self-regulated state which leads to greater health and growth and restoration. And so it's searching for safe environments and safe people uh, in our lives. And so when it is in those safe environments or with those safe people, it may begin the process of regulation, self-regulation or receiving co-regulation from a safe other. And along with that regulation may come some defensive feelings. And mindfulness as well. The writer had mentioned uh, meditation, but this would be true for yoga or even therapy. Whenever you bring another level of mindfulness, so just that bringing that focus of your consciousness to yourself and what your true or close to true experience is in the moment, the present moment, mindfulness is like, it's like you're aligning your consciousness with your body, your, your focus, you're bringing your focus to the physical self. So there's, there's more of an alignment there. And when that happens, it kind of gives permission for your autonomic nervous system. At least this is the way I frame it in my mind. Mindfulness gives permission to your ANS to self-regulate. If you're focused on the outside world, if you're focused on, or maybe even thoughts of the internal world, then you're not focused on your body. Once you bring awareness to your body, then, it's, then the two are, are in alignment and now self-regulation can begin to happen. Animals don't have that problem. They don't worry about the outside world and think about it and dwell on it. They're always in tune with their inner body, so they're always in a state of self-regulation, but also co-regulation they're offering to each other as well. Mindfulness is something that we see in meditation, like they mentioned. But also in meditation, you're potentially probably in, I would think, a safe environment, maybe even with safe people. But if you're in a safe environment, like if you meditate, when I meditate, I like to have the lights down. I like to have low stimulation. Those are cues to my nervous system, my autonomic nervous system, that I'm safe or that we are in safety. I do better with low stimulation. As it neurocepts safety, the potential for self-regulation to happen increases. So part of meditation is the mindfulness. Part of it is the environment and giving yourself cues of safety. And this is something that I build in building safety anchors is the environmental safety cues. That's actually the first 
that's actually the first uh, lesson in building safety anchors is increasing environmental safety cues. So important. And so when we give ourselves those environmental safety cues or co-regulation with safe others, or just mindfully look inward, then with through those safety cues, self-regulation will start. And along with that will come defensive feelings as we climb up our political ladder. That's that's just, it's, it's interesting, maybe kind of weird that as we feel more safety, we potentially feel some of that defensive stuff come up, even some of that old defensive stuff. So it's actually kind of a good thing if you can tolerate it. This could even happen in therapy. But it really comes down to, can you tolerate it? You have to have the window of tolerance or, or the vagal break. You have to have that developed enough to be able to tolerate those defensive feelings that are going to come up. Now, once you do, they will not be felt as defense. They'll be felt as something else. Instead of uh, coming out of shutdown and up into a fight state and, and feeling like anger, it won't feel like anger. It'll feel like power. It's a much different experience. But we have to have the window of tolerance, the vagal break strengthened. You can do so by finding what brings you to safety and developing it, spending more time doing those things mindfully. I would encourage you to feel safety in tolerable doses and to do so you know, little by little. This would be similar to you know, lifting weights in order to lift heavier weights. You're not going to be able to lift 100 pounds before you lift 75, and you can't lift 75 before you can lift 50. Similarly, you will not be able to experience joy until you can experience, I don't know, a little joy. <laughs> the more you can experience the of those safety feelings, it's well, at least the more you can build in doses, then you can increase your capacity to feel more of it. Hopefully that makes sense. You're exercising these pathways. You're exercising the biological pathways, those ventral vagal pathways. You're exercising them so that you can increase the potential and longevity of feeling and staying in your safety state. That's what I'm trying to say. Thank you so much for listening to this. And thank you also, by the way, to the people who are finding me on YouTube. It's a very small, teeny tiny channel. It's growing though. And I really appreciate those that are watching slash listening on YouTube and leaving comments. I, I really appreciate the love. I love reading the comments there. And uh, you can interact with me there. Uh, and I'm putting a little more time and effort into YouTube. It's something I want to grow. Um, but if you found me already, I, I greatly appreciate it. I'll put a link in the description for those that are interested in my YouTube channel so you can listen to this, but also see my wonderful, shining, smiley, handsome face. <laughs> Otherwise, hey, fellow stuck knot, I hope you've learned something new to help you in your process of getting unstuck. I have a ton of resources and even a couple of courses for you to take on my website, justinlmft.com. Bye. This podcast is not therapy, not intended to be therapy or be a replacement for therapy. Nothing in this creates or indicates a therapeutic relationship. Please consult with your therapist or seek for one in your area if you are experiencing mental health symptoms. 
Nothing in this podcast should be construed to be specific life advice. It is for educational and entertainment purposes only. More resources are available in the description of this episode and in the footer of justinlmft.com.